Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber White. Hello, everyone, all 17 of you. (laughs) Just kidding. But seriously, thank you so much for listening today. This week has been crazy. Johnny's been gone all week, and I have been packing up our main floor to get it ready for a remodel, and I am exhausted. So if I sound exhausted, now you know why. I was so excited. Last week, we had over 100 downloads. I know that it is such a tiny number, but it's a start. So if you know anyone who would be interested in listening, please send them here. Also, share it to your social media groups as well, and make sure to subscribe. The more subscribers I get, the more attention it will bring to this podcast. So I really appreciate it. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at the Art of Adoption Podcast. You can also find me at artofadoptionpod.com or email me at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com. I have a clarification station. I have to clarify a few things from my last episode. I know everyone is really excited to hear from the woman I interviewed who is anti-adoption, but to clarify, I was just interviewing her last week, so her episode won't actually come out for a little bit, but it's going to be good. Also, she's not an adoptee like I thought, but she is a biological grandmother to a child whom was placed. And guys, after talking with her, I was exhausted. And I just talked to her on Monday, so it just added to the other amount of exhausted that I already was and am from all of the packing. I did learn a lot, though, when I talked to her, and I look forward to sharing that with all of you soon. But in the meantime, I have plenty of other amazing stories and information to share. And the last thing I want to mention is that in my last episode, I said the name Johnny when sharing some information. And for those of you that don't know who that is, Johnny is my husband. Say hi, Johnny. Hi. You'll hear more from him in the future as we will be sharing our adoption stories very soon. All right, but enough business. Let's get on with the show. It was very early in 1974. Somewhere in Pennsylvania, a young woman of 17 years of age discovered that she was pregnant. This young woman came from a strong Catholic background and did not believe in abortion as an option. So she chose to place her child for adoption. Although the young father, also 17 years old, wanted his family to raise the baby, For unknown reasons, the young mother did not want that for this child. So she lied to the father and told the young man that it was a false alarm. 
that there was no pregnancy after all. She soon fled to the West Coast to live with a sibling who was in the military and stationed there. The story goes, I was conceived on the East Coast. My parents, my birth parents were 17. She wound up leaving the East Coast to come out here to California to stay with a sibling for my birth. She lied to my birth father and said that she wasn't pregnant after all. So as far as I know, he doesn't know that I exist. (laughs) Surprise. It was October 2nd, 1974, in San Diego, California. A little girl was born, and afterwards, her mother wouldn't, or couldn't, even look at her baby girl. But she knew she had made the right decision. From all accounts, my birth mother just knew that she couldn't raise me and wanted a great Catholic family and, and found my parents. And, you know, that was that. It's nothing traumatic. It's nothing awful. It's nothing to feel sorry or apologetic about. Baby girl was to be placed into cradle care until the new adoption was final. There, she would be taken care of by a licensed caregiver that offers interim care to newborn children waiting for adoption. And then, six weeks later, baby girl was placed into the loving arms of her forever family, who would end up calling her Kathleen or Katie. Here's Katie. Well, I'm 44 years old. I was adopted when I was six weeks old. And then my parents did foster care for six years when I was in junior high up until high school. Then my mother kind of got the itch again when we adopted my (laughs) youngest brother. So that's why he's so much younger than I am. During the 60s and part of the 70s, babies were forcefully taken from their young, unwed mothers. Those children were raised either not knowing they were adopted or in closed adoptions. So they had little to no access to information about their history and their roots. Katie was not one of those babies, but I asked her if she had always known she was adopted. Yeah, my parents have always been very open. You know, I've known people growing up who have found out later in life that they're adopted. I can't imagine hiding something like that from a child. I don't think that it would ever end well. I mean, that's just my personal opinion, but I can't see circumstances where, you know, at 18 or at 20, you know, a relative slips and all of a sudden your life as you know it is not what you think it is. So my parents have always, they had cute little books when I was growing up about being adopted and (laughs) that type of thing. So... Yeah, I've always known. One of those books that Katie remembers is called Tell Me Again About the Night I Was Born. It is written by Jamie Lee Curtis. Although it doesn't totally describe Katie's personal narrative, it is still a cute account of an adoption story. Here are some snapshots. Tell me again about the night I was born. Tell me again how the phone rang in the middle of the night and they told you I was born. Tell me again how you got on the airplane with my baby bag and flew to get me, and how there's no movies, only peanuts. Tell me again how you cannot grow a baby in your tummy. So another woman that was too young to take care of me was growing me, and she would be my birth mother, and you would adopt me and be my parents. Tell me again how you held hands all the way to the hospital, and when you got there, You both got very quiet and felt very small. Tell me how tiny and perfect I was. Tell me again how you cried happy tears. Mommy, Daddy, tell me again about the night I was born. 
Even though most people look at adoption as this great and beautiful thing that it usually is, there are also many challenges that adoptees are presented with, often to do with their identity. When I was younger, I went to a very close-knit Catholic school, real small. Everybody was very close. The hardest thing that I found was that I didn't look like my parents, not in any great way. But I mean, there were some kids, you know, some of my friends growing up, one of my best friends growing up, you knew that was her parents. And that was always really hard for me. I really wanted someone to look like me. I think that was always a big challenge for me. And then when I had my son, people say like, oh, he looks just like you. And that's like the best compliment in my heart. And now it's something like really trivial but it was something that was like a really big deal to me growing up that I didn't look like anybody. And I certainly didn't look like either of my brothers. I don't know. I mean, when you're younger, you just want to kind of blend in. And I mean, as I got older, I wanted to be different, <laughs> but you know, um, it was just something that always really, really bothered me. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't any challenges necessarily. It was more of like reactions sometimes from other people because I'm very open about my adoption and it would kind of take people aback. It's really odd because one of the most common things that are said to me when I tell people that I'm adopted is they say, I'm sorry. It's really odd. I'm like, well, no one died. (laughs) You know, I think sometimes people have the association with adoption as as something bad happened in my younger life that I was like removed from a situation or I was bounced around in foster care or sometimes people have like a negative connotation. You don't see enough positive adoption stories in the news necessarily. You always see the bad things that happen. So I think people have some weird, you know, thoughts and feelings on adoption. You know, I was always told that I was chosen and that did make me feel like set apart from everyone else. I'm like, well, my parents went and chose me and I always felt special when I was growing up and started getting these weird reactions from people. It always took me aback because I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm special. (laughs) Katie's adoption is closed. One of the things she wishes she knew more about is the medical history of her biological family. She suffers from illness, both mental and physical, so she would like to know what runs in her family and what things she should look out for. Her son has tried talking her into doing a genealogy screening. My son's been like giving me like, oh, that's, we should try the Ancestry.com, and I'm kind of like, oh. <laughs> because it's opening up a whole big can of worms that I don't know if I'm even necessarily prepared to deal with because you don't know what you're going to find, you know, especially me. I know very little, if it's even the truth, about my birth parents. My birth mother was 17 years old. For me to think that she didn't go on and marry and have more kids and like, I don't know if she's told anyone. And she made such a great sacrifice for my life and for my parents. I don't want showing up and ruining her whole life. And honestly, like, I've had a really good life. Like, I don't, I have great parents. They're incredibly supportive. Um, I just haven't, when I was younger, I felt that need. You know, I felt like there was something missing. And then the older I got, it's become less and less prevalent. Because when I was younger, it was when I'm turning 18, I'm going to I'm going to find them. I'm going to find out what's going on. I'm going to blah blah blah. blah. As soon as I turned 18, I got cold feet and then I've had cold feet ever <laughs> ever since. But what if her biological mother wanted to find her? 
Katie says she thinks that she would be okay with that and that every so often she does browse search boards and she puts in keywords specific to her situations such as my birth date and you know baby girl ridgecrest like the keywords that I think she would possibly put in there haven't found anything yet but it's scary I don't know her she's not my mom my mom is the person that raised me my mom is the person who changed my diapers and brought me to school and punished me and tried to keep me on the right track. And when I was a teenager, I mean, I wanted to be as far away from that woman as I possibly could. But I mean, now my mom is like my best friend and I talk to her every single day on the phone. Sometimes I do wonder like, okay, I'm 44 now. I get this, like I'm running out of time almost like, oh, my birth parents are getting older. And if I do want to find anything, like I better hurry up and do it. You know, and I, I asked my youngest brother if I could share a little bit because he actually searched. He had quite a bit more information than any of us and found some not so great things. Did not meet his mother, his birth mother, did not try to link up with her in any way, but did find some things online that were unsettling. He was actually um, born addicted to meth when he came to us. We, he has at least one sibling that we know about, but don't know where or anything else. But, you know, he was able to pull up, you know, footage of his birth mother online in the middle of a crime. So that's my biggest worry. I wondered how she felt about adoptees having access to their biological family. Specifically, I wondered what her thoughts were on open adoption in general. I was a little weirded out by open adoption. I think it would be really hard. I don't know anybody who's had an open adoption, who, you know, especially like older like me. I don't know. To me, it almost seems a little selfish. You're wanting to do this great thing, but you're wanting to hold on a little bit too. But that's also for me who's never had that experience. I'm glad you put that caveat on there at the end. In our experience, when we would tell people we were landing on open adoption, it would typically be met with gasps or concerns. But it really isn't anything to be afraid of. Open adoption is a form of adoption in which the biological and adoptive families have access to varying degrees of each other's personal information, and they have the option of contact. It doesn't mean that they have access at all times. And even if you agree to an open adoption, it is not enforceable. More on this in another episode. I think it's really interesting to to think about what it would be like. I don't know about like confusion necessarily, but just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm happy with the way things were for me. I don't feel like I missed out. I don't feel like, you know, any resentment that like, oh, I wish they had had that. In fact, I think kind of the opposite. I I just, I can't imagine having any other life. Sometimes I think about it. I'm like, what if I'd been raised on the East Coast? Like, God, I hate snow. I asked Katie what sorts of questions or statements people have made that may have offended her, that, if given the chance, she could teach them a better way to ask or possibly shine some light on certain preconceived notions. I can't speak for all adopted children. 
you know, I've read some things that people ask that can come off pretty offensive, but I also think that people just for the most part are generally interested. There's a difference between being curious and offensive. And you really need to just think about that when you're asking questions, especially when the kids are younger, because I know that I was really touchy when I was younger about it. Not so much anymore, but just remember that the families come in all shapes and sizes. The only thing that matters is love. And I know it sounds cliche and I know it sounds corny and I know it sounds stupid, but I mean, especially, especially in this day and age, like families does not mean, you know, the mom and the dad and the kids and the white picket fence. And and that's not what family means anymore. Like family can mean a, a multitude of things. I asked for specific examples from her experience. Yeah, like saying like, oh, so your parents didn't want you? Like things like that. Like, like why would you even say that to somebody? The, the whole real thing bothers me too. I'm like, well, my real parents are Pat and Jack. And people always go, oh, <laughs> those are my real parents. I don't know those other people. They never, they have not done anything for me. They haven't burped me or fed me or changed me or <laughs> a day in their lives. So yeah, I always took a little offense to that when people would say that. I just think that there's still in this day and age, so much negativity and people just misunderstand the whole process. And, you know, it's not like I just went and stayed with these people for a while. And like, these are my parents. This is my family. This is, it's no different than how I, you know, I am with my son, you know, even though my son is my natural son, it's still a family. Katie's parents, Pat and Jack, as we now know them to be, did everything in their power to create a supportive environment for their kids through therapy and groups. They wanted them to be as adjusted and secure in who they were as possible. Adoption really affects each person differently. Some, if not most, really struggle with abandonment issues. Katie never seemed to have lingering feelings like that it was never really a big deal to me. I mean, people have said to me like, well, how is it different with your parents? And I'm like, I don't know. How is it like with your parents? I don't know any, I don't know any difference, but I also think that it has opened me up to just knowing that, you know, especially like in, in later in life, you know, I wound up with two stepkids, one of which I'm very, very close to and his mom wasn't around and, and he's a dad now on his own. And I mean, that kid is like my own kid. So I think it's just made me a lot more open to alternative families. I guess blood doesn't necessarily make make a family. I wanted to know a little more about Pat and Jack. So I asked Katie if she had any insight into what the process was like for them. I asked her to tell us a little more about them. I mean, my parents are amazing. They really are. I mean, they were absolutely meant to be parents. And if it wasn't for adoption, you know, they wouldn't have ever gotten that chance. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. (laughs) 
because I mean, my parents, I mean, when I read like my baby book, like it just kills me. You know, my dad is like, we finally have a little girl, all of our own, you know, I mean, my parents waited for years to be able to adopt and to be able to have a baby. I mean, it's not, I'm sure, you know, it's not an easy process and the money and the hoops that these poor parents have to go through, like blows my mind. When Katie was in junior high, Pat and Jack decided to start fostering newborn babies. They did foster care for um, a private adoption agency here in San Diego, uh, Catholic Charities. So they only did foster care for newborns that were in like the midst of being like before placement. So we would get babies sometimes less than a day old. We had babies that, you know, a lot of times had medical problems because whether or not, you know, whether they were born addiction to drugs or, or that type of thing, you know, we had twins that were on heart monitors once, all kinds of stuff. And they did that for six years when I was in like junior high and then up until my sophomore year, I think, because that's when they, we adopted my youngest brother. During that time, Pat, Jack and Katie had fostered a lot of babies. Six years, 44 babies. My dad still remembers. I had to check my numbers. So, wow. Fostering that many babies during her formative years, Katie learned some pretty um, interesting lessons. It changed my whole outlook on relationships and sex. This, this birth mother is my age. And it just, it was real, it was real eye-opening for me. So no, it, it really shaped the way that I, I looked at relationships. I know what happens. I don't want it anywhere near me. You lock your teenagers in a room with a bunch of screaming babies and trust me, they will not want to have sex. <laughs> I was well out of high school before I ever <laughs> did anything at all. Because I did not have my child until I was 30. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Pat got the itch to adopt again, and then baby Tony arrived. They were hooked on him, thus ending their fostering journey and beginning their new journey. Katie was 15 years old at the time. It was an awesome experience. Like I say, you know, he was born addicted to drugs, and um, he's probably done the best out of all three of us, to be quite honest. Just, you know, watching him grow up has been um, one of my greatest joys in life. I wanted Katie to share some advice and insight with adoptive parents, and here's what she had to say. Your child wanting to look for their birth family has no impact or no reflection on what you did as a parent. You know, especially the teenage years, because I was awful my teenage years. And I mean, and, and, then, and I pulled on that a lot because I felt like I didn't know who I was and I didn't. And, and it wasn't until I got older that I realized, you know, I am who I am. M me being adopted has very little to do with who I am as a person who I am as a mother, you know, who I am as a friend. Being adopted is a very, very small part of that. Never lie to them because they will find out. I have had friends who have found out they're adopted as adults and it's awful. Like I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. And I mean, in this day and age, it's a little different, especially like a lot are open or semi-open and things like that. But um, you're not protecting them and you're not helping them by lying to them. If anything, you're going to drive a wedge 
in there because right then they can't trust you. Great advice. Overall, Katie has had an amazing experience in her adopted journey. She told me that she searches for and posts positive adoption stories only. She observed that when there was an adoption story to hit mainstream media, it was always the horror stories. When there are hundreds of thousands of successful and positive adoption stories to be told. She is hoping that by doing so, someone will read it and possibly take that next step or open their hearts to a child, whether it's through fostering or adopting or both. I mean, there's so many kids out there, especially older kids, that like need and deserve a chance at a, at a forever home. I get up in the morning and I post adoption stories sometimes. And I mean, just that little thing, you know, if it gets to the right person that can open their heart and adopt a child or, or, or do foster care or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience. It's, uh, you know, I wouldn't change anything about my life for the world. And I have an amazing family and I have an amazing son and things, everything in my life, not just adoption, but whether it be my divorce or whatever the case may be, all those things have led me here. And, and that's pretty, it's been pretty great. Thank you for listening and thank you so much to Katie for sharing your story with us. Head over to my Facebook page at the Art of Adoption podcast where you can see pictures of Katie with Pat and Jack, her son, and her youngest brother, Tony. And while you're there, be sure to like my page. You can also find me on Instagram at the Art of Adoption podcast. To stream this podcast or point someone to it, use my website, www artofadoptionpod.com You can contact me 24-7 at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com Please subscribe to the podcast and remember to rate and review hopefully with five stars Artwork, production, and editing done by me, Amber Way Excerpts from Tell Me Again About the Night I Was Born were narrated by my middle little Wyatt Maddox and the theme music was written and produced by David Other. Go check out his amazing work at davidother.com or on Facebook. And as Zig Ziglar once said, positive thinking will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. Bye-bye.